Well, here we are again. Won't you come on in and have a seat? My name is Noah Becker, and I've been scouring the internet for interesting audio. Audio that is relating to what we're all interested in, which is the art world, artists, things of that nature, seeing as this podcast is the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast, and White Hot Magazine is an art magazine, and I'm an artist, and I publish about art, and I write about art, in addition to making my own paintings. The next episode is from Artists USA from the 1950s, and it's audio of Frank Stella and Larry Poons. I hope you enjoy this historical artifact here on the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. This is the second program about the new abstraction in this series on contemporary American painting. The previous program dealt with the lyrical colorism of Morris Lewis and Kenneth Noland. Other younger abstract painters have also rejected the formal premises of abstract expressionism, pushing on in another direction into a cool, minimal art. I was born in a suburb outside of Boston, Malden, Massachusetts, and uh, I went through the grammar schools there and uh, was interested a little bit in the art teacher coming to draw on the blackboard the turkeys at Thanksgiving and I and I liked to the drawing part of all the classes prep school at Andover I got uh, involved with a program there which was large and extensive going to school and doing everything else I still managed to find a lot of time because I was sort of encouraged I guess in a way to to paint a lot and to look at paintings a lot and uh, I got the point of Mondrian, like, right away, and I liked At it. At 29, Frank Stella is an old-timer on the New York art scene. And I thought then, and I even said a lot of times, and that I wanted to paint just squares or something like that. And it seemed to me the thing to do, it could just be a square, that was enough. His paintings are objects, regular and inert. Yet they become strangely equivocal, assertive and demanding. By the time I got to college at Princeton, I became a, a whole new group of young artists has felt the impact of his ideas. And pushing a lot of paint down. And I began to get a lot more interested in abstract expressionist painting and I would go to New York and see it. Well, I was very taken with uh, abstract expressionism because, largely because of, you know, the kind of obvious physical elements, particularly the size and the, and the whole gesture. And uh, I always liked house painting anyway. And the idea that they were using larger brushes and all of that seemed to me that seemed to be a nice way of working, and also it seemed to fit in with what, uh, somewhat with what I could do. I mean, uh, painting that way, I was as facile as the next guy, if not more facile, sort of. Uh, I could throw it around. I wasn't quite so inhibited about making a mess, and I, in fact, since a lot of the thing in a place like Princeton was uh, uh, kind of obvious, we were given the architect studio, and the bigger the mess you made, the more of a scene it was, and so it was just, it was just play. It was, nice to, it was nice to be as messy as you could, and I, and I enjoyed it. Uh, but the thing that I felt and that I thought that I saw in the painting changed after a while. I mean, I still feel that, uh, and I still, you know, I still um, is rooted in abstract expressionism or whatever you want to call it, New York school, 
as I, as I probably always will be. I mean, that was the painting that interests me. That was the painting that I was formed around. I see it a little bit differently now, and I began to see it a little bit differently then. I mean, what I, what I saw, what I liked in the gesture and stuff, uh, in the openness of the gesture, the directness of the attack, all of those things seemed to me to make sense. What I didn't seem to, what I think that I didn't see or what I didn't really understand was, I didn't understand Pollock in all of this. I mean, it's kind of obvious that, that Pollock was the, the item or the thing in some way, but in a lot of ways, Pollock, Pollock wasn't around for me then. At the time when I was working in school, I was much more closely oriented to, say, Klein and de Kooning, and, uh, and there was a lot of discussion of a painter at that time, <laughs> Jasper John. And already, without ever having seen a painting or even knowing where they were, it was already, and it was interesting to see it, a reputation in words for uh, an art that didn't exist. So I had a very strong idea of what was absolutely the newest, most definite thing. And uh, when I did first see them, I liked them. So it was also interesting to hear about something uh, to be strongly reputed to be good and then actually to see it be good was a little bit interesting. But the thing that struck me the most was the way he sort of stuck to a motif, the way he worked. And I liked uh, things like that were partially in the motifs, but seeing somebody really paint at it, the idea of the stripes, the idea of, of repetition, I began to think a lot, a lot, a lot about repetition. Uh, wasn't that an easy way? Not so much that it seemed easy, but wasn't that something that, that seemed to be interesting to me? And wasn't that something that you could really work around towards uh, the end of my college career. The last few months I was working on paintings which are kind of cross an amalgam of some kind of uh, Jasper, Gottlieb, and sort of Rothko. That was the kind of thing I liked. And uh, uh, Steve Green talked me into going to New York and buying Cotton Duck because I wanted to paint big and that was the way to do it. And so I bought Duck and uh, this was incidentally too where I made uh, that other terrific breakthrough, the, the, the three-inch stretcher which was done by putting butt-ending one-by-threes to build a big stretcher because it was the cheapest way of doing it. And that, and that was just a habit that carried through when I was working in New York. And I've always liked the things to fill the space up, so I, I built the things as big as I could with cotton duck. And uh, it, the size and the scale all seemed right, but the, uh, the organization was like a problem, I mean, because it became very arbitrary or very fussy. I would, you know, why repeat, why after I'd run through a series of sketches or a series of ideas, place the block at the top, place the block on one side, place the block on the other side, place the bottom, place the block at the bottom, place the border in one corner, the other corner. You had the four corners, the four marks, you had diagonal structures, this, that, and the other. Uh, they just didn't, uh, they didn't seem to uh, sit right. And so I did a couple of things which were painted over the blocks, but a couple of paintings that had just the bands on them. And that seemed interesting, so they were just a series of horizontal bands. Then I started working on sort of still bigger pieces and working them through a lot. And I got into a couple of things in which I'd get into trouble and I was using black, so then I would paint all of the areas that I'd already painted black. And uh, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, the what's classically called the easy way out, painted all one color. But it didn't bother me as much as it sort of suggested some things to me. And I, and uh, on the basis of that, I began to make a series of uh, symmetrical things with bands that had a few leftover black boxes still left in them. And then gradually, it just just eliminated that until I had just symmetrical patterns of the black bands.
Then, starting with the black paintings, after I had got into a few and had decided on using a symmetrical format, then I began to flirt with the idea of making slightly more complicated tours or more complicated routes for the stripes to take. And I worked out a series of things that were complicated, but they had spaces left over in them. And I thought about it for a little while, and I said, well, that's obviously the thing to do. You take it out. If you don't want it, take it away. And so it just was a... Uh, just began to build the stretches then to uh, take out the part that I didn't want. And once I started that with the aluminum paintings, that naturally the cutout thing just kept suggesting more and more possibilities for shape things. And it, it seemed to work for me. One of the hangovers or one of the real problems in, say, it's always been in Western art, but particularly in 20th century modern painting, or modernist painting, whatever you want to call it, is that there's always been an atmosphere, a background, even in the abstract painting. Uh, the only one to really deal with it was Mondrian, and he ran it out to the edge, but he still stayed relational. But mostly to get rid of it, it was a recurring thing in my paintings, too. It seemed to me the bands and the blocks had some kind of landscape relationship, or uh, landscape... Uh, uh, or atmospheric space in them. And I wanted to uh, get away from that as much as I could, and I wanted to solve the problem of, uh, particularly the spatial problem of, of depth and uh, the problem of, the, of what happened to the painting as it faded out around the edges. And uh, a lot of abstract expressionist painters seem to me to have found one part of the painting that they really liked, one part where it came off, where it worked, and then they spent the whole rest of their time working on that painting, trying to nurse the painting into a situation that would show off the one good part of their painting they had to its best effect. And it seemed to me that I didn't want to be involved in the kind of painting that was mostly uh, mostly correctional, mostly, mostly uh, kind of nursemaid kind of painting, trying to nurse something up that was supposed to be fresh and direct to begin with. And it was, seems to me that, that this was the point that I was try uh, talking about before, where I began to see the importance of Pollock and sort of what it was really about, and the difference, say, between Pollock and the, and the other abstract expressionists, particularly, say, de Kooning and Klein. If the new paintings are different from the paintings that I did before, as far as scale and organization, they're, they're very close to the early paintings as far as the idea of series is concerned. That's their closest point of similarity. In the new paintings, there are 10, 10 shapes, and there are four pieces in each shape, and uh, four is an arbitrary number. It's just a number that I thought that I'd like to have so that if I work on one shape, I don't have to paint over the painting a lot. If I don't like the way it comes out, I can go on to the next one. And also, it also gives me something to work against. If I see something that I like in it or something that I don't like, it sets, it sets the way that I'll go with the next few pictures. It's not that I'm hoping that one will work out, but I think that, that some will work in some ways and some will work in other ways and some won't work at all. And I just, I'll sort of take it, take it as it goes. The painting never changes once I've started to paint on it. That's true. But I think that the process that I use for, for working out the idea before I begin to paint on it is uh, uh, just, just it's that process is just move back one step. It's like the sketch, for example, to me is very important. And I do, I work things out beforehand in the sketches. I mean, I, I draw a lot in the sense that I make a lot of diagrams and fool around with a lot of ideas make a sketch on a piece of paper and then and, and and I look at it there on the paper sort of like you would look at a painting on the wall or something at least the basic organization of it and then if it really holds my interest then I work it out on the graph paper as a matter of scale and once it's set on there and once it seems to have a 
acquired enough relations of some kind. In other words, I've, uh, I need four or five paintings to sort of really work up to actually beginning on something. Uh, one of the ways in which I seem to test an idea or a method of organization is it has to sort of breed a few more like itself. If it doesn't seem to, to lend itself to development, then I, I tend to shy away from it. Once I have the graph paper sketches, the next thing is to compute the actual size and scale of the thing that I want so that I can give it to Lebrun to be built. Uh, after the canvas is stretched and sized, it, uh, you'll see that I just draw the lines on it. Uh, and uh, the lines are, are guidelines. The line in these paintings is essentially the same as in the stripe paintings. It's a guideline which indicates a kind of blank space, a space between the painted areas. And I paint up to either side of the line, and I essentially follow it. In the stripe paintings, I followed it by eye. In these paintings, since the areas are so big, it seems to me easier to do it with the tape. And I, and I use a fairly cheap grade of tape, which bleeds slightly, gives me a slightly irregular edge. Uh, a really straight line is not, is not what I want. And, I'm happy with the line that, I, that I've gotten out of this tape and the way that it's worked out. It seems to me just uneven enough to hold the color and to, and, to, and to work as a separation between the colors. After laying on the tape, it's just a matter of, uh, of choosing the colors. And it seems to me, as far as this series of paintings is concerned, uh, it, uh, it's, it's the only real problem. It's the only thing that I have to do uh, right. And I think the preference for uh, industrial paints, obviously epoxy for enamel surface. These colors are largely manufactured in what you would call tints. They have a lot of white in them, and the effects that I get would be slightly duller than you can get in something like artist colors like Liquitex. Now, my colors are not going to have the kind of crispness or the kind of intensity, say, of Liquitex or Magna. And uh, why I want this slightly finish uh, why I prefer these colors, I don't know. I, uh, it's a question of surface. Thinking about the color abstractly hasn't done me really say any good. I'm not able to uh, solve or analyze color in the way that you might say that I've been able to work more successfully with structure. Color is uh, obviously a more ambiguous area. It becomes finally for me a matter of preference. I mean, I, I have to like the color, and uh, I have to feel that it's convincing in some kind of way. The whole thing, the whole painting has to be convincing. I don't like to be a, a victim of my technique. I like the technique to be as straightforward and as simple as possible. I never feel that the, that, the, that the technique, that the paint surface is the most important thing in the paintings. I feel that the, the painting is going to convince you on its uh, overall aspect, rather than uh, by any of its, say, technical niceties. I do think that uh, a, a good pictorial idea is worth more than a lot of manual dexterity.
the color is arbitrary, but it comes from working with the paintings that are immediately preceding it. The color does relate in some kind of way to the structure. In other words, if I have a triangle stuck into a rectangle, it suggests certain kind of color situations or something. There's always the possibility, say, of a black shape stuck into a white shape, which is an obvious thing. And uh, what, what is it if it's a red triangle stuck into a blue shape? Does that force you to do different things with the colors that are banding the shapes? As far as the structural motif of these paintings are concerned, there are two basic ideas. The first is the basic shape, say, of two interpenetrating shapes of some kind, a triangle into a square. And the, the action or, the, uh, or whatever is going on in the painting is, is uh, reinforced by bands. There are bands around the triangle and there are bands around the rectangles. And uh, what seems important there is where the edges and the points meet in this relationship. And to, to draw around them seem to be a natural way of dealing with it. As far as people looking at my work, as far as that goes, I wanted people to be able to see the paintings directly and sort of unequivocally. In other words, the emphasis on the surface and the rigid quality of the paintings to keep people from moving around in the paintings so that the paintings are sort of non-atmospheric, non-resilient, there's sort of not room to roam around so that it's almost only one way you really can see the paintings. The real point of the paintings is that they're supposed to be self-evident and they're supposed to be easy to see and easy to understand. I don't know why people would be threatened about seeing so little in my paintings. After all, I mean, how, how little is there in the paintings? There's a certain number of stripes, a certain amount of units, there's a certain amount of activity going in them. I find Frank's work terrifically willful. I mean, almost like the Matisse's. You get to the Matisse's and like, bam, there's no hesitancy there. The result of the painting, when you look at it, is a great willfulness or a great strength. I think Frank's main genius lies in his sense of scale and proportion, which is just fabulous. There's nobody that could make shapes that are so arbitrary, in a sense, but, but look so right. Uh, as far as uh, the relationship of Stella's work to my work, uh, well, he encouraged me, so to speak. I exhibited in the Village Art Show one year, and a guy... Larry Poons is young. Yeah, 28. There is a long waiting list for his paintings. And the guy next to me, uh, he said, your painting's very neoplastic. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but he recommended a book about Mondrian. And when I finally got hold of the book, uh, I guess that's where the, the influence started, uh, the Foxtrot paintings of Mondrian, the, you know, just the two black lines on the diagonal. And then it, uh, it started from there. I guess, you know, the conscious uh, influence. Then the, the next thing that hit me uh, was uh, the Barnett Newman uh, show at French Company uh, made a big impression on me as far as uh, scale or the magnitude of those things. I'd never seen anything like them before. And uh, I remember uh, walking into uh, the 12 American show, whatever that was, and uh, sort of walking into a dark room and uh, you know, out of the corner of my eye, seeing these very dark uh, paintings uh, with concentric squares and stuff. And I didn't think, uh, I really didn't think much of them. You know, it was sort of like a very nebulous thing. But then one day I went up to Leo Castelli's and there was a silver painting with corners cut out of the thing. And, that, you know, that really hit me. Uh, the painting really hit me. And it was Frank Stella's work. And so 
you know, right about that time, I became very conscious of uh, doing as little as I had to do to make a painting, meaning cutting out, you know, trying to get down to a, uh, a necessary thing rather than a, uh, an arbitrary decision. Uh, not like the, the divisional type paintings that I was involved in, you know, like painting big squares and painting circles. You know, getting down to exactly what you need to make a painting rather than what you want. And I, you know, I'd say, uh, you know, the Newman thing uh, moved me uh, quite uh, emotionally about painting. Uh, but the Stella thing was, a, for me, a very hard practical uh, uh, lesson. You know, it's like, you know, the two poles uh, were working for me then when I finally dove Stella's work. I'd always used, a, you know, in the divisional type paintings, I'd always used a, a sequence or series uh, for, the, uh, for the squares as they move sequentially. Uh, usually a one through eight, a clock and counterclockwise uh, thing going there. I, I retained that when I, you know, when I uh, decided to knock things down to into their, uh, into a simplest form, uh, meaning, uh, you know, not paint the squares, but just a point and a point that will move sequentially, clock or counterclockwise. And the first thing I did with that idea was I, I connected the, uh, the, uh, the points and ended up with a big, great big jagged free shape thing, which I proceeded to paint uh, in two colors. Uh, I didn't find these very successful. Uh, I wasn't getting anywhere with, uh, with the space, so to speak. It was still old-fashioned Bauhaus kind of painting. But then a combination of Barney's space, the kind of space that's important, now in painting. And then Frank's means of making it, I would say, was the thing that got me going. You know, the idea occurred to me, well, just paint the points and don't worry about, you know, connecting them up. And uh, I guess that's how the, the first painting did get painted. Uh, you know, it was from the, a very conscious uh, paring down, you know, getting it down to some kind of essential uh, thing. But then, of course, I'm not all crazy hipped up about polka dots, as some people call them, or ellipses. That's not the subject matter of the painting. They are a means in which, you know, like I can get at the problems that I'm involved in in painting, of creating space in the, in the expansion of the, of the space, of the limited space that the, uh, the canvas uh, affords you. And I'm not involved, I don't think, in simplicity or purity, per se. You know, like a, the neoplasticists, perhaps, you know, were directly involved in that kind of thing. A painting might end up suggesting uh, simplicity or suggesting purity. But as far as that being the reason why I do certain things, it's not the reason I do them. And, you know, like I'm trying to uh, break through composition. Uh, arrangement, you know, break through the, uh, the obvious things that are set up in a painting to, uh, you know, to arrive at the unimportance of any one particular thing in the painting in relationship to the other things. You have to take in the whole painting. You just can't simply say, well, this is very pretty here, and this is a nice thing going on here. You might say it's uh, perhaps a kind of neutrality that I try to set up in the paintings. Then, then the same thing also applies to the color. 
you know, say you're working with a yellow painting, and, uh, well, if you use red in the painting, uh, you know, just the quality of red, it's more dominating than, say, uh, a yellow on, on the yellow. And the problem would be to still use red, but not have it assume any more importance than uh, a, the yellow on yellow. You know, I'm not really interested in dealing with something that I know exactly how to do. You know, like certain color combinations cause certain effects. And once that thing becomes obvious to me, you know, like I move on. I'm trying to do something now that, uh, you know, that I've never done before. And I think perhaps it has the greatest potential of uh, producing something that one hasn't seen before. Perhaps one does see this neutrality in terms of other perceptions, like perceptions of, of nature, uh, like leaves on the ground, when they fall on the ground. You don't say, well, now that leaf is in the wrong place in relationship to this leaf. That isn't an issue at all. And in a sense, I'm involved in arriving at the same thing uh, with the paintings, arriving at a point where everything is all right, where it is, you know, rather than looking placed or uh, even thought about. Of course, one has to think very much in order to get to this point, but in a way, the end result is like the leaves on the grass, everything just being right the way it is, and, you know, like, just perfect in its uh, non-aggressive aggressiveness. I had liked the idea of series things and all that, but in the way I'm working, uh, it seems to be almost impossible to do, primarily because of color, because uh, the final, uh, or the, the solution to many of the colors is a question of, uh, of uh, what's underneath it, you know, uh, just a simple glaze kind of thing. In this painting I'm working on now, you know, like if I want something to look red, I gotta mix a green. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, but uh, of course this is something that I, I have to learn about. Of course the hard thing, one of the hardest things to do is to find out what the problems are. You know, that's like half the battle if you can find out what the problem is and then deal with it. You know, like essentially, it's, uh, it's a whole mess of problems and, uh, you know, it's work in the doing of it. Uh, it's unexciting. There's plenty of other places to get excitement rather than art. The two are fairly uh, separate things. Success, you know, or making it, so to speak, that's something extra. Where you make it or you don't make it is in the studio, in the work that you're involved in. There are people that, that want paintings that aren't painted yet. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make you sleep any easier at night, or it doesn't, you know, like, uh, I'm not, you know, like, it doesn't bug you, you know, it doesn't bug me, meaning it doesn't make me sleep easier, and it doesn't make me sleep, uh, uneasier, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, it's changed, the, the scene, uh, I mean, I'm no authority, you know, I got, I don't pretend to be. I can only relate that, you know, to my own feelings, my own life. And it's quite, it seems to be quite different than it was uh, four years ago, whereas there seem to be uh, groups of people. If you thought about one thing, it's sort of like everybody was together. Uh, I guess it's now, you know, getting back to individuals and individual achievement rather than any universal idea being exploited by this person and this person and this person. Uh, it's gotten down to, uh, it's gotten better, I think, because now it's harder. Things are becoming into focus in a specific way, whereas it seemed like three or four years ago, the focus was general.
in the 50s, there was still a lot of struggle between abstract and figuration, and uh, what seemed necessary to be done was a, a way to make uh, abstract art a, a more full-blown style, a style that was maybe a little heavier, maybe a little more advanced, maybe a little tougher, something that could uh, carry. Well, we've seen it. It's uh, happened. I mean, we take it a little bit more for granted. And for example, I think that abstract painting now uh, is really, in a lot of ways, less brittle than it was before. And it does seem to have a, a room to maneuver for itself. Figurative painting so thoroughly ran itself down that sort of, once you could see it that clearly, it wasn't so much fighting a battle or destroying something. It's something you do. There wasn't any opposition. Everybody was tired. It was, uh, the field was uh, sort of open. All you had to do was do it. This is NET, the National Educational Television Network.